Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit is rampant. Bullshit. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore! Kenny Mountains, I met with Captain Farrell, and his money he was counting. They first produced me pistols, and I then produced me rapier. Things stand and deliver, for I am the bowl, the saber, my sharing of a new luminar. Whack for the daddy o, whack for the daddy o, and Mr. Stephen Charles. I'll count out his money, it may have pretty funny. I put it in my pocket and I took it on to Jenny She sighed and she swore She never would deceive me But the devil took no one for it never can be easy What's your name? Like father daddy-o Like father daddy-o This was the end of the Hey, what the... Yeah, man, Irishman and whiskey and stuff Fish That's where water. I was going with that yeah. Yeah, welcome back to the Bullshit Filter Season 3, Episode 3.2. We're doing the history of the war on drugs. We're halfway through talking about Prohibition. Welcome back, Ray. Welcome back. How's it going? It's going good, Ray. How's it going with you? I'm sobering up a little bit. I don't like that feeling. No, I bet. Now, at the end of Episode 3.1, you started talking about racism yeah. uh, and its uh, involvement in um, on, in uh, uh, prohibition. Do you want to just uh, recap on that a little bit to get us started? Yeah, ba- basically, after the Civil War, the, the United States, especially in the uh, north, uh, cities are growing, a lot of uh, factories going up, a lot of immigrants coming over looking for a new start to life, looking for jobs. They, go, they navigate to the cities, obviously. Uh, and there's a lot of saloons, there's taverns, there's bars. And the people who are already here... Um, whether they're you know they're here for a couple of generations, start to equate. They see all these immigrants. Uh, immigrants they hear the funny languages and the names and stuff like that, and they start to equate um, these immigrants with alcohol, with maybe some rowdy behavior. Um, and they and they just start to put the two together, and they're like, you know, things were better before these people were here. Things were better before they brought their um, maybe habit of of drinking uh, out in public, um, you know, at bars, whatever. So good old fashioned American racism starts to creep up, and now the people who are with the Temperance League and who are with the Anti-Saloon League, the asshole, they have another weapon to use to, and they have another target, frankly, to point at when it comes to finding something negative about immigrants, about alcohol, especially now that the two are becoming intertwined, at least uh, in their minds. Yeah, and I think it, I think it gets a little bit more complicated than that mm-hmm. too. I mean, there is this kind of nativism, as it's called. Um, uh, people were saying, oh, "I'm a nativist." They go, "Really? You want to you want to support the uh, Native Americans no. in their land not claims?" Them. And go, no, <laughs> fuck off! No, not them. No, me. I'm a native. Me, really? I'm me. How, how, long, how long have you been here? I got here three weeks ago, but that's better than these cunts that just got off the boat yesterday. Um, yeah, look, there, there was this sort of white nationalist um, vibe going on in the early 20th century. Uh, uh, Germans, Irish, Italians had all come over and they would, they would drink 
in bars. First of all, you've always got this thing about the immigrants are taking our jobs, right? right? That's not a new thing. Uh, today in America, it's the Mexicans. In Australia, it's... Uh, I don't know, fucking whatever it is. I don't even know who we're up in arms against. <laughs> somebody, about today. There's, there's I think it's somebody. just, it's just yeah. Muslims. I don't know. I don't pay attention to American, Australian media much. Uh, it's the boat people. Right. The boat people are taking our jobs, whatever right. it is. There's, that's like the, the whole they are taking our jobs rhetoric mm. has been around, you know, for thousands of years. I'm sure, uh, you know, back in and Alexander's day, <laughs> uh, people in Macedonia or Athens, the, the Athenians were claiming that the Macedonians were taking their right. jobs, you know. Sons of bitches. Um, Alexander goes, damn straight, I'm taking the job of your, uh, all your all your governments, I'm taking Major their gold. jobs. I know. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And your soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, but not your women, because quite frankly, it mm-hmm. eh, doesn't do it for me. I, I like a little Persian, uh, you a little there, Persian mixture. Demosthenes, turn around. <laughs> Flip up your <laughs> flip up your your robes. Ooh. Like anyway, I'm seeing. Uh, where were we? Yeah. So that whole they're taking a jobs thing was was part right. of it. But then also, you've got the 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 voting side of it, which I'll keep coming back to throughout the course of this series. Um, so you've got all these immigrants coming to the country. Uh, they they get nationalised. They're able to vote. Uh, they hang out at bars. Yeah, the Irish have their own bars. The Italians have their own bars. Mm-hmm. Germans have their own bars. They 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 get together in their little ethnic neighbourhoods. They have their ethnic bars where right. they drink their ethnic drinks. They have politicians of their own nationality who are rising up. Go to the bars to 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 give pump pump stump speeches, right. Trump stump speeches, and um, to bribe people and yeah, all that kind beer. of stuff. So there's this. So the the the. American Americans that have been there a generation or two longer I like that. are like, fuck this, what's this going on? Um, uh, 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 they want to they shut down right. uh, this, this whole, um, these different ethnicities. And one of the ways is to shut down their saloons. If you can shut down the saloons, the thinking is you'll be able to shut down these hotbeds of uh, ethnic political power. Yeah. And you'll be able to stop the, you'll be able to stop the rise of the Irish politicians, um, which means they'll stop trying to get, you know, better pay or, or, or better uh, working conditions yeah. or better whatever it is that? for the Irish immigrants. Yeah, no one wants, no one wants that. <laughs> so, uh, and you, you'll be able to stop saying, well, the the Irish politicians from helping the Irish get more jobs, right. and it means you can get the uh, the white. Um, Anglo-Saxon uh, uh, Puritan uh, uh, politicians elected who will do whatever they can to stop the Germans and the Irish and the Italians from taking American jobs yeah. and all this kind of yeah. stuff. And our women. So, and the women, exactly. Um, now, in 1914, the congressional record stated that liquor traffic mm-hmm. was responsible for 25% of poverty, Ooh. 37% of pauperism, 45.8% of child misery, 25% of insanity, 19.5% of divorces, and 50% of the crime. Wow. And again, just like the gentleman that we spoke about last time, that might not all be true, but it makes a powerful message. Booze is the cause of all of the problems, right. particularly when it's being drunk by <laughs> the Germans and the Irish and the Italians. 
In March of 1917, uh, the 65th Congress came together in which the Dries, the Prohibitionists, you referred to our mate, you referred to our mate Dub Dub in the last episode, Wayne Wheeler is the Dry Boss. The Dries were uh, outnumbering the Wets, who were the anti-Prohibitionists, 140 to 64 in the Democratic Party. Mm And 138 to 62 in the Republicans. Now, that's impressive. That's political power right there. That's impressive. Right there. Yes, that is the definition of political power right there. Yes, when you have two to three times the number (laughs) of of, uh, people in your camp. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, America joined the war, World War Mm -hmm. I against Germany in April of 1917. And the German Americans, who were a major force against prohibition, were sidelined. Their protests were ignored. Well, we can't listen to you. You're, you know, you're probably in league with the Kaiser. But I mean, that that's all nice. Yeah. So, so you're Germans, and you want, and you don't want prohibition. That just motivates us more. But then there's a real world uh, practicality to this. The new justification for prohibition. would allow more resources, especially grain, to be otherwise used. Obviously, it would be used to make alcohol, but we can now devote it to the war effort to beat your cousins, ancestors, whatever, who are obviously back in Germany. So again, so you've you've got this um, you've got this uh, theoretical or, or intellectual argument against German Americans, but now you've got this real world reason and uh, for prohibition because we could be easily using that grain for something better for the war effort. Hurry up and end the war and bring like our what? boys back home. What? What? Just making fucking uh, using grain to make alcohol? It's a bullshit argument. But they used. But what it. are they going to use the grain for in the war? Feed. Um, like, oh fuck! I don't know. But it was. But it was an argument they used. I, that's all I know. But it's bullshit. But what were they going to use it for? To feed whatever people. You made the argument. What are I'm they, just what reading what, what Wikipedia what told me. Grain? Why are you giving me shit? <laughs> exactly my point. You've put no thought into this, have you? You just wrote well, why it down. Don't you and... fucking tell me because I don't think you know either. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I just wanted to see if you did. Well, okay, yeah, they're going to feed people with grain. I thought, I figured they were going to stuff it into their guns and shoot it at people. That's what I thought they were going to do with it. Oh, I just want How do you like these apples? I just want to mention something real quick. Before March 1917 that you were just talking about, um, the presidential election, this is how... This is how tense things have become politically when it comes to the prohibition movement. In the election of 1916, Democratic incumbent Woodrow Wilson and the Republican candidate Charles Evan Hughes completely ignored the issue. They did not talk about it at all. It was not on their party's political platforms at all because everybody was just so fucking worked up about this. If you were to say anything one way or the other, you're going to piss off roughly 50% of the people that you need voting for you. So again, these guys were smart enough to leave it alone but now that um the 65th congress of march of 1917 comes in they, they had the dry set of the numbers and they're going to make some shit happen but again at least the guys before that they just knew that it, this was political dynamite don't touch it but it doesn't matter because the dries are now in power and so there was a calling for a constitutional amendment the 18th amendment to bring about national prohibition 
It was introduced into Congress and passed in both houses in December of 1917. Right. Now, the 18th Amendment called the production, transport and sale of alcohol, mm-hmm. but importantly, not the consumption oh. or private possession of alcohol, gotcha. illegal. So you can't make it, you can't ship it, you can't sell but, it, but if you own it, you right. can drink it. If a stork drops some out of the sky. No, you're right. If you already have some in your house or on, on your possession, you're allowed to drink it. That's fair. By January 16th, 1919, the amendment had been ratified, uh, making it law, despite being vetoed by Woodrow Wilson. Mm. He was like, what? You're fucking crazy. There's no way we're signing that. And they went, oh, yes, we are. Um, Only two states opted out of ratifying it, uh, Connecticut and Rhode Island. Good for them. Uh, And then later on in 1919, October 28th, Congress passed the legislation known as the Volstead Mm -hmm. Act, which was around how to enforce the 18th Amendment. Because they passed it and everyone went, fuck (laughs) you, we're still (laughs) selling it. And they went... Oh shit! We, we never details. We never expected that they would think, think like Winnie what? the Pooh. Think, People think. aren't just going to do what we yeah. tell them. Yeah, oh, we shit. Enforce the shit! So that's where they. It's when they created a police force. Now, I'm only kidding. Prohibition didn't actually go into effect until January 16th, 1920. Right. Who wrote the Volstead uh, Act? Uh, Harry Volstead um, of the the, the Volstead Twins. <laughs> It was it was in uh, his name. I can't remember which state he was from, but Wheeler wrote the Volstead Act. Yes, of course he did. Dub Dub, well, Dub Dub engineered the whole thing. It's here, a conspiracy. Man. He's going to later on kill you, K- Wood- kill JFK, but we'll get to that later. Woodrow Wilson was also uh, Dub Dub. <laughs> Um, yeah. No, the, the, the Volstead Act, yeah, as you say, it was conceived, basically drafted by uh, Wheeler, mm-hmm. not the other dub-dub. It was named for Andrew Volstead, who is the chairman of the House Judiciary right. Committee. Um, but, uh, yeah, Woodrow Wilson, the other dub-dub, it was dub-dub versus dub-dub, a showdown of the dub-dubs. <laughs> dub-dub v dub-dub. Um and and Walter White came in at the end too. So it was uh, and uh, uh, who was the other dub dub in the book? The Gale wrote in the book something about dub dub. Uh, um, the fucking poet. Uh, oh, Captain, my Captain. Oh, no, uh, who wrote Oh, Captain, my oh, Captain? God, I'm looking Walt Whitman. Uh, Walt Walt Whitman. So yeah, all the dub dubs. Yeah. Um, if you if if your initials are WW, <laughs> you, you're destined for greatness. Pretty much that's how it goes down. Um, so anyway, yeah, uh, Woodrow Wilson uh, vetoed it, largely on technical grounds, I think, because he said, oh, it's already covered by wartime prohibition. Right. We've already said you can't do this because we need the booze. Right. They were like, no, 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 we want, we want this to be um, in peacetime yeah. as well. So, so, prohibition started. The Volstead Act... Uh, enabled them to create a police force, Mm. federal prohibition agents of 1,520 men to prevent an entire country of people (laughs) from sneakily drinking booze. Not sure they thought that through, Ray. Should there be a couple more zeros on that number? Mm. Yeah, Yeah, the arseholes didn't really think that through. Um, 
uh, when when prohibition went into effect, our mate Winston Churchill, nineteen twenty, so he's uh, you know he's he's still an up and coming yeah. in the middle. He stopped uh, in the middle of sacrificing a whole bunch of British and Australians in the shores of Gallipoli to say that prohibition was an affront to the whole history of mankind. Uh, Cam, do you want to do that yeah. again in the appropriate voice? Oh yeah, fuck the- yes. Prohibition It's an affront To the whole history of mankind Thank you Thank you, thank you. That's the very last time I'll ever do a Churchill and Prohibition um, Of course Gallip- the, the World War I was over by 1920 But don't let me get I had to get in a dig about Gallipoli yeah. So don't fucking nope. send me email saying It was already yeah. done by then We know um, He was busy invading uh, Russia I yeah, think in 1920 right? To support to support the, uh, the white yeah. Russian army, yeah, Carol Stalin. <laughs> in um, of course, in the in the so let's let's look at the dates again. So, the the legislation was passed in December of nineteen, mm-hmm. ratified in nineteen nineteen, right. and went into effect in nineteen twenty, beginning nineteen twenty. Yes. So you got a couple of years yeah. here where people know it's coming. Prohibition is going to come into yeah. effect. Now, if you're rich, right? what did you spend that few years doing, oh right? You uh, you went to a store, a liquor store, whatever, with your black credit card uh, that has no limit, and you pretty much <laughs> say uh, you 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 slap your big black card on the on the uh, on the That's, desk. It's called a. I think they prefer to be called African-American cards now, right? You just slap your big African-American card on the counter and you say, I want it all. Here's my address. Ship it there. And then you go to the next store and you do it all over again. By the end of the day, your card is kind of sore, but you feel good about it. I want it all. Yeah, that's what they said. Um, Yeah, so the rich people, and this is a classic case of a law that is engineered in a way that it's going to affect poor people. Mm -hmm. It's a class war. It's going to affect poor people more than it's going to affect rich people because, again, the prohibition legislation didn't outlaw the private possession or consumption of alcohol, just making it, shipping it, and buying it. Um, so the rich went out and hoarded massive quantities of it. Of course, the alcohol manufacturers were happy to sell it to them because they were about to go out of business. <laughs> so th- they said, we'll just buy everything that you've got. See that warehouse full of booze? <laughs> it's now my warehouse. I own the warehouse. Uh, that's now yeah. my garage and just leave it there. Don't even bother moving it. I'm just going to come and take it when or I want. Or better yet, if you're going to go out of business, let me just buy your alcohol and your building. You get the fuck out. I'll change the locks, and I'll just keep it all here. Have a nice day. Exactly. Uh, they literally emptied out warehouses, saloons, club storerooms, wherever it was, a bit like JFK did when he was about to uh, make Cuban tobacco illegal. <laughs> Uh, the, the, the Cuban, uh, 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 what's it fucking called? The economic sanctions mm-hmm. against Cuba. Yeah, he sent he sent his boy down to Havana to come back with ten thousand cases of Cuban cigars that he could uh, hold on to. Yeah. He said, "Well, mate, I've only got another two years to live, but fuck it, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to smoke the shit out of these yeah. Cuban cigars." Yeah. <laughs> um, 
I just wanted to add a little detail to, to the uh, Volstead Act. Um, so while the manufacture, importation, sale, and transport of alcohol is now illegal in the United States, Section 29 of the Volstead Act allows wine and cider to be made from fruit at home, but not beer. Up to 200 gallons of wine and cider mm. per year could be made, and some vineyards grew grapes for home use. The act did not prohibit consumption of alcohol, like you were saying, and many people stockpiled it uh, before it became illegal, and this is going to cause um, socioeconomic tension between the haves and the have-nots, but hey, there's always been that. It's just the, the, uh, the reasons for the tension changes over the decades. Now, uh, President Woodrow Wilson moved his own supply of alcoholic beverages <laughs> to his Washington residence Good. after his term of Good office ended. Uh, the guy who came in after him was a ha- Harding, Warren G., mm-hmm. um, took his own supply uh, into the White House <laughs> after his inauguration. These guys have their right priorities. Good for them. Um Warren G, people may not know this, he, he actually made a song about prohibition, about the regulation of alcohol. Regulators. We regulate any stealing of his property. We're damn good, too. But you can't be any geek off the street. Got to be handy with the steel, if you know what I mean, earn you keep. Regulators! Mount up. It was a clear black night, a clear white moon. Warren G was on the streets trying to consume some skirts for the E so I could get some phones. Rolling in my ride, chilling all alone. Just hit the east side of the LBC on a mission trying to find Mr. Warren G. Seen a couple of little girls, ain't no need to tweak. Go, you skirts, know what's up with 213. So I hooked to a left on 21 Lewis. Some brothers shooting dice, so I said, let's do this. I jumped out the ride and said, what's up? Some brothers put some gas, so I said, I'm Says these girls peeping me, I'm a glide of swerve. These hookers looking so hard, straight hit the curve. Want you think of better things and some homely tricks? I see my homie and some suckers all in this mix. I'm getting jacked, I'm breaking myself. I can't believe they take taking warrants. Well, they took my rings, they took my Rolex. I looked at the brothers, damn, what's next? Got my homie hemmed up, they said all around. What's next is we're gonna take all your booze. And they did. That's Warren G. Regulate, named after Warren G. Harding and Prohibition. Um, the poor, so the rich are taking their own booze into the White House, out of the White House. Area. The poor, on the other hand, are fucked. They obviously can't afford to stock up. But like the rich, they still like a drink. Yeah, so what are you going to do, Ray, if you want a drink uh, but you're too poor to go and buy a warehouse full of booze? Well, what you do is you you, want, you put your hands in your pocket, you look as, look as innocent as you possibly can, and you go around until you see someone, you know, looking a little shady, you give him a look, he gives you a look, you walk up to him and you say, hey, I got some money if you know anybody's got any liquor. And then suddenly you... Hey, you want to... What? You want to... Hey, you want to suck some dick? No, I thought you were going somewhere else today. Okay, awkward. Um, No, I'd like to suck on the neck of a beer bottle if I could, please. Thank you, sir. But yeah, so uh, bootlegging, and I'm just, again, proud to be an American. Bootlegging pretty much starts right away. The illegal traffic of liquor in violation of the, of course, manufacture, sale, and transportation of alcohol. So again... Because if you think about it, up until this point, there's a lot of what we could generally consider decent, law-abiding citizens who've been here for a couple of generations, and they, they have their drink. They have the drinks on the weekends. They have the drink with dinner or whatever, and suddenly they can't do that anymore. And so it's, it, 
it's they they don't see themselves as having done anything wrong. They they don't they don't feel like that they are bad people or they're going to hell or whatever. They're going. They feel outraged, and they're Americans, and Americans feel like everything is a privilege. They're going to find a way to satisfy themselves, and they're going to justify to themselves because they're not the immigrants or they're not the ones who beat their wives when they get angry or get drunk or whatever. They're decent people, and they want to drink. And by gosh, as an American, I'm going to get me a drink. Yeah, so <clears throat> when people want something and the government says, no, you can't have yeah. it, it leads to the development of a black market. Right. Uh, and this is where we see the five points gang out of New York City really start to come to the, the, the fore, become prominent. Five points was started by Paul Kelly, um, a.k.a. Paolo Antonio Vaccarelli, mm-hmm. Uh, an Italian-American. Over the years, he had been recruiting youths to become sort of criminals, Uh, guys like Johnny Torrio, Al Capone, and Lucky Luciano all got started in the Five five Points gang under uh, Kelly. Um, Capone moved to Chicago with Johnny Torrio and um, ended up becoming the boss of the Chicago outfit when he was 26. It's kind of in the middle of, of Prohibition, his rise to power. He ran a massive bootlegging operation that included owning secret illegal breweries throughout the country, as well as importing whiskey from Canada. And of course, he was fairly upfront about the whole thing. <laughs> um, a little break. He used to just say, hey. Yeah. Yeah, he used to say, hey, I'm just a businessman, giving the people what they want. All I do is satisfy a public demand. Damn right. Uh, you know, his view, and, and uh, this is uh, in The Godfather, um, where they talk about, you know, people, booze and whores are just things that everybody yeah. wants. And, well, uh, right now. You know, it's, we, just, we just give it to them. Everyone looks the other way. He had this view that look, it's it's yeah okay, it's illegal, wah wah, whatever. I'm just a businessman giving people what they want. Like, get off my fucking back. Uh, do you know where his headquarters were? Right, no, tell me. Cicero, <laughs> Illinois. <laughs> that man, good he old, keeps popping up. We cannot let him go. Good old Cicero, and qui bono is something that we will have to ask ourselves at a, at several points over the course of this series. Who benefits? Right from the prohibition of alcohol and drugs. Certainly Al Capone was one of Mm -hmm. those. So he and other gangs like his um, obviously had massive bootlegging operations to supply booze to the poor people who weren't allowed to get it. Rich people are happily drinking away, but uh, the poor people needed to get an alternative source. And they got it in huge quantities. And, of course, the 1,520 police that were set up by the Volstead Act (laughs) were having a hard time uh, dealing with how they stopped 150 million people from getting access to booze. Um, Alcoholism rates actually soared during the 1920s, during Prohibition. Uh, According to insurance companies, it increased at more than three hundred percent. That is good business. What, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna bring in prohibition. Why to stop <laughs> alcoholism? We're gonna save you. Whoops! <laughs> and also to get ready for Jesus. Now, I, I, I um, do want to make the distinction. Mm. Um, 
we were talking about the ASL, the uh, Anti-Saloon League and the Women's Temperance Movement. Some of those organizations, and I believe those two, didn't focus on education. They focused on enforcement, kind of ramming it through. So at some point, because of that, this this gets lost. There's not a massive message from the government. Uh, they're just passing the law. They're just making the rules. But but it's only the churches and, and the other things are saying, this is for your benefit. This is to help you. This We're saving you a ton of money. This is bad for you as far as your health, uh, as far as your livelihood, that kind of stuff. There's no message about this is why it's good. It's just enforcement. And I imagine a lot of people are like Americans in that respect, that if you just force me to do something and don't even try to tell me why it's for my benefit, we're going to say fuck you and do it anyway. So, but, but that the whole educating the people was dropped a couple of decades before this went through. So again, a lot of people are resentful and they're going to find a way to get around it. No, I don't think that's true, man. What about our mate Hobby? Hobby, the war hero, the hobster. He was writing books. He was giving speeches all around the country talking about why alcohol was bad for you, how it was going to end society, how Jesus didn't like well, obviously it. The, you know, there was there was huge amounts of propaganda well, no, that went there, along There was a this. lot of churches. There were a lot of people like him. But what I'm saying is the government should have had a spokesperson. Again, it wouldn't have worked, don't get me wrong, but obviously none of all those people, all those, the the, uh, the newspapers, the magazines, the spokesmen, the, uh, the women's movement, whatever, none of that worked because, like you said, the use of alcoholism went up. So I just think they should have at least tried to, you know, get someone to speak for the government, but it was just all stick and no carrot. And I could be wrong. I'm just, I'm just uh, saying that they didn't even try. It's just this is the law now. Well, they did try, though. This is my point. They had a massive propaganda movement. Well, obviously, Americans stuck their giant collective middle finger at that and kept on drinking. Of course, because no one gave a fuck. <laughs> Um, and this is, this is, you know, the, the, the root problem with prohibition, but I'm going to talk about that later mm-hmm. on. Prohibition of all things uh, that involve pleasure or relaxation or whatever anyway. Um, I know people are thinking, well, what about guns, motherfucker? You think that people should, you know, ban guns? Yeah, but guns don't give you pleasure. Well, maybe they do, but, you know, it's not supposed to be used as a dildo. <laughs> um, it's probably Sit. dangerous and bad for the gun. You've got to clean it anyway. Don't get me started. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, one of the other things, obviously, that happened during Prohibition was the speakeasy, the illegal saloons, the hidden saloons that we've all seen in old classic Hollywood mm-hmm. films. Um, I am shocked, shocked, <laughs> I tell you, that there was drinking going on in this establishment. By the end of the 1920s, there were 30,000 speakeasies in New York City. Alone. Oh, my God. I thought you were going to say the country. <laughs> Fuck. In New York City alone, can you imagine? There's one on every block. Uh, how easy it yeah. was. Yeah, it was like Starbucks, probably <laughs> more than Starbucks. You could trip and fall now, and land in one. Yeah, they did uh, increase the number of the the people in the police force, and they were able to slow down the smuggling of alcohol from Canada and other countries. So the crime syndicates turned to stealing massive quantities of industrial alcohol, stuff that gets used in paints and solvents oh, and, and medical supplies and fuel, and redistilling it right. to make it drinkable. Now, industrial alcohol is basically booze. It's grain alcohol mm-hmm. with bad stuff mixed into it just to make it undrinkable. <laughs> Otherwise, people would just drink 
<laughs> cleaning alcohol, yeah. right? Um, some do still. Remember when I was a kid, my dad, who was an alcoholic, used to tell me that the good alcoholics used to just get a bottle of methylated spirits oh, and drain it through a loaf of bread wow. and then and then drink Another it. Another necessity. Um, yeah, and then go blind and yeah. go, well... It worked for a yeah, while. Yeah, okay, but I'm still alive, <laughs> so there's that. The US government started requiring this, what they call denaturing process in 1906. It was set up originally to help manufacturers... Avoid of industrial alcohols, avoid the taxes that they were going to put onto drinkable alcohol, mm-hmm. potable spirits. Um, and then uh, by the mid 20s, middle of prohibition, uh, according to the US Treasury Department, something like 60 million gallons of industrial alcohol were being stolen every year. <laughs> well, this isn't working. To, Supply the country's uh, uh, poor uh, drinkers. So, uh, in 1926, President Calvin Coolidge, uh, CC, replaced Dub Dub. You had Dub Dub, you had Warren G, regulators, (laughs) and then you had CC. Um, He decided that they were going to poison the fuck out of this industrial alcohol and and make it as hard as possible for people to drink it. By the 1920s, there were 70 different ways they could fuck up the industrial alcohol or denaturing formulas, as they are called. Uh, Fuckery. I'm just going to call it fuckery. There were 70 (laughs) forms of alcohol fuckery that the government were indulging in. Some added methyl alcohol into it, which is poisonous. Others added bitter-tasting compounds to make it taste horrible. And so you'd, oh, to make it undrinkable, people would just go, oh, 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 that's, <laughs> that's bad. bad. That's Give me some more. fucking rough. <laughs> Give me some more, yeah. But I'll, I'll, get, I'll, I'll develop a taste for it. Don't you worry. I'll get there. Um, yeah, it tastes bad, but uh, I'm not going to let that stop yeah. me, yeah. Now, to, to, to sell this industrial alcohol, what the syndicates did was they would employ chemists right. to renature the products, return them to a drinkable mm. state. And because the, because the syndicates could pay the chemists a lot more than the yeah. government paid their chemists, yeah. which is always part of the problem with organised crime, uh, they got more money mm. than the people who were trying to stop them usually. Uh, the, the chemists were really good. They got the best chemists. Uh, I know all the best chemists. Uh, people tell me I have the greatest chemists, they used to say. <laughs> all the time. And they were very yeah. good at it. Um, so it was the primary source of liquor in the country. They didn't bother distilling their own. They didn't bother uh, 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 smuggling it in. They just stole this industrial stuff and, and rejigged it. So, as I said, by the mid or late 1920s, the federal authorities decided to really indulge in some major, major fuckery with this alcohol. And they started including things like kerosene, gasoline, benzene, cadmium, zinc, nicotine, ether, formaldehyde, chloroform, camphor, carbolic acid, acid, quinine and acetone into the industrial alcohol. The Treasury Department also demanded that more methyl alcohol, again, that's a poison, be added to it, up to 10% wow. of the total product. Are you serious about this? 
And that's when people started dying in droves. Um, in the closing days of 1926, people just started dropping left, right, and centre. Oh, my God. Um, from drinking this stuff, uh, they would, you know, either just drink it themselves, they would buy it and go, fuck it, how, how bad can it be, and just drink it. Or the, the chemists that the... Um, uh, syndicates were using hadn't woken up to the fact that the oh. denaturing formulas had changed and they were still using the old formula and then selling it uh, to nature it and people were dying. Chuck Norris, our New York City medical examiner, right. said the government knows it is not stopping drinking by putting poison in alcohol, yet it continues its poisoning processes, heedless of the fact that people determined to drink are daily absorbing the poison. Knowing this to be true, the United States government must be charged with the moral responsibility for the deaths yeah. that poisoned liquor causes, although it cannot be held legally responsible. He uh, issued a warning from his department saying that practically all liquor that is sold in New York today is toxic. Damn. But people kept drinking anyway. Um... Now, so let, let's just stop and recap what's going on here. The government decided to ban the sale of alcohol, and then when people kept drinking it anyway, the government decided to poison the alcohol um, and didn't warn the people that it was poisoned. They just poisoned it, thought that'll fucking teach them. That's, 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 that is what should make it a criminal act. But you're right. You can't sue the government, I guess. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know the details on this particular thing. But, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, with hindsight and we can look back and be dispassionate. That's pretty fucked up. Let's poison it, not say anything, and they'll figure it out eventually. Uh, 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 he assigned, Chuck Norris assigned his toxicologist, Alexander Gettler, to analyse whiskey that they confiscated to see what materials were. And that big list right. of toxic materials I read out earlier on comes from Gettler's report done for the New York City Medical Examiner's Office. Um, and Norris also condemned this program, as we've pointed out, uh, for its effect on the poorer people, the working mm -hmm. class wasn't affecting the rich because no. the rich already had their supplies uh, in their cellars or in their warehouses. Now, uh, the numbers weren't trivial here. In 1926, in New York City alone, mm -hmm. 1,200 people were poisoned by alcohol. 400 died. Uh, the following year in New York City, 700 people in New York City died from poisoned alcohol. I've read, I've read varying numbers uh, between 10,000 and 50,000 people died from the federal government poisoning Damn. alcohol during the 20s. If, if any company had done that, it would have been shut down and everybody involved would have went to jail for a very long time. But when the government does it, eh. Unless it was the Catholic Church. The, they, they managed to get away with raping they, children. Okay, okay, yeah. two things, two things. The government and the Catholic Church. Everybody else, you're screwed. Now, um, obviously, people were upset about the fact that the government was poisoning people. 
Um, you don't hear about this a lot. You hear about, oh, Stalin did this or the right. did that and they did that. Yeah, people don't talk about, oh, the American government poisoned 50,000 people of its people by putting poison in booze. Anyway, there you go. It happened. People look it up. Um, now, yeah. I yeah. was just going to, since you brought up the criminals, I was going to bring up some of the doctors about their reaction to all this. Okay. Okay. So uh, obviously, uh, prohibition became highly controversial among the medical professionals uh, because alcohol was widely prescribed as um, as their uh, for therapeutic purposes. Congress gives into the pressure, and they held hearings on the medical value of beer in 1921. Subsequently, physicians across the country lobbied for the repeal of of prohibition as it applied to medical uh, medical liquors. From 1921 to 1930, doctors earned, and this is the important part, from 1921 to 1930, doctors earned about $40 million in whiskey prescriptions. Doctors were able to prescribe medical alcohol to their patients. Uh, After just six months of prohibition starting, over 15,000 doctors and 57,000 pharmacists got their license to prescribe medical alcohol. So again, so the criminals are going to take advantage of it. The doctors and the pharmacists are going to take care of it as well. They get the little loophole from the government and suddenly they're back in business and they're making quite a bit of money. And just like you were saying earlier, this is another way for the people to get access to alcohol. So people were really upset about the fact that their government was poisoning them. Um, I don't know why. I don't know what their (laughs) their issue was really. Yeah, overreacting. So they started complaining about Mm. the use of poisons in their booze. Mm Bunch of snowflakes. Um, (laughs) Senator James Reed of Missouri said, only one possessing the instincts of a wild beast would desire to kill or make blind the man who takes a drink of liquor, even if he purchased it from one violating the prohibition statutes. So prohibition was a massive failure. Right. The public viewed it as fucking bullshit. And because it was a bullshit law, they were willing to break the law. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important point. You know, you have this idea between just laws and unjust laws. Not every law that gets made is a good law or a just law. Bad laws get made all the time, as we know, for all sorts of reasons. And if you're a citizen, you have a responsibility, I think, to fight against unjust laws, bad laws. You can fight against them in a number of ways. You can fight against them in legal ways by trying to get them changed. Or you can fight against them in illegal ways. Mm-hmm. Just because it's illegal doesn't mean it's wrong. You can fight the fight the bad laws by refusing to acknowledge the laws. Right. And, you know, t- taking the punishment. Don't don't poison yourself if you can avoid it, uh, is my recommendation. Yeah. But uh, people were willing to break these laws because they thought they were bullshit. Yeah. Now, more importantly, not only were these laws bullshit, but they also deprived the economy from the tax revenue that they could be getting from alcohol. (laughs) In 1920, they were like, who needs the tax revenue? (laughs) Things are great. We're making so much money. Oh, the fucking good times, man. Besides, this is more the right thing to do. What were you saying? The Charleston? Was the you Charleston. told me in one show da, we did? Da, 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 da. I'll show it to you next week in North Carolina, which would be ironic to do the Charleston in North Carolina. Why is that? Because it's from South Carolina. 
Oh, yeah. that'll fucking piss them off, right? Um, and then uh, something happened in 1929, Ray. What happened in 1929? There was this, uh, you know, again, people overreacting, but there was this um, depression, economic depression in October. Some people use the word great. Other people have said great. It wasn't me. It's coming from other people. But yeah, so this suddenly the the government, the federal government, the state governments, obviously with the with the stock market turning down and the and the dollar, the value of the dollar going to shit. The governments need as much money as they can get, and suddenly what was be what was a moral issue now looks suddenly like a, a fiscal issue because they need to be able to get their hands on every single dollar bill they possibly can. But they're not getting it from alcohol because no one's legally buying this stuff. So when our mate FDR campaigned uh, in 1932 to become the president, he said, one of the things I'll do if you elect me is end prohibition. And people went, oh, you can't end it. No, they said, you can't do that. (laughs) You've got an 18th Amendment. There's an amendment like the Second Amendment. You can't repeal an amendment. He said, what the fuck are you talking about? It's just a piece of paper with words on it. It's a process. we can repeal it any time we fucking like. What are you talking yeah. about? Well, why haven't you done that with guns? And he said, because it's 1932 and everyone, <laughs> no one cares about guns right now. We, we just, well, we did when Al Capone yeah. was shooting everybody up a few years ago right. in the uh, St. Valentine's Day massacre. Yeah. They're like, oh, well, don't tell people in 1918, <laughs> 2018 about the that you can repeal amendments. Fuck me. You can what do they, that? What? You yeah. can do that. Yeah, we forgot. Uh, so when he became president in 1933, he did, in fact, have the 18th Amendment repealed. It's the only time in American history right. that an amendment to the Constitution has been repealed yeah. because, fuck me, peep, don't get in the way of people <laughs> and their booze. I just want to mention real quick, because this is just too funny not to, before um, FDR's election, in October of 1930, just two weeks before the congressional midterm elections, bootlegger George Cassidy comes forward and he tells members of Congress how he has been bootlegging for 10 years. Cassidy wrote five front-page articles for the Washington Post in which he estimated that 80% of congressmen and senators drank alcohol. Now, the Democrats in the in the North were mostly wets, and like you were saying, by the time the 1932 election comes along, they make some serious gains along with FDR, so he's going to have a lot of allies in here. But basically, they were arguing that prohibition was not stopping crime. In fact, it was making things worse, and now we need the tax money. So again, so, the, so just as prohibition had built up with momentum from a lot of speeches and a lot of different organizations, people's resentments have been building up over the years, and so when FDR makes this announcement and other people running for Congress make announcements as well that, that this is not working, it's momentum in the other direction, and they're able to make it happen in uh, 1933. So that is the end of the 12-year experiment with the prohibition of alcohol in yeah. the United States. Yeah. Didn't work. Yeah. So what, what do you think the lesson should have been from that, Ray? Um, I mean, at some point, when does morality run amok? When do you not care or even try to find out the will or the opinion of the vast majority of, of a country when you just know that you're so right, you, you just bulldozer ahead 
damn all consequences. I don't know. It, it just seems to me that, that it's um, my way or the highway kind of mentality. And these people, again, they thought they, I guess they thought they were doing good. They were doing the will of God. They were trying to save people from themselves. But, uh, but if you have a country based on freedom, you can't just simply tell people, we're going to do this even though you don't want us to because it's for your own good. It doesn't work that way. I, I just think it was just morality run amok. What about you? Uh, I think there's a number of lessons that should have been learned and weren't. Um, one is that to say that alcohol or drinking alcohol was the root cause of the problems that they identified, and some of those problems were real. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, drunken abuse uh, probably affected the economy. It affected people's health and all those sorts of things. Yeah. But, but the drinking of alcohol was not the root of those problems. It was right. a symptom mm-hmm. of underlying problems. People drink at least to excess because they have psychological and emotional issues that they want to deal with. In a, unfortunately, they pick a, 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 an unhealthy way to deal with them. Um, you, having a glass of wine at night or a beer or, or, or a couple of fingers of scotch or a couple of fingers up your ass in and, up the, in and of themselves right. aren't going to cause a problem, right? Right, right. Um, it's when you take a whole fist up your ass repeatedly that your anus prolapses. That's when you've got a problem <laughs> and then you end up with goatsy.com. Right. Uh, <laughs> Don't go there, people. <laughs> Turn away. <laughs> Don't type. Oh, come on, Ray. I was trying to sneak a goatsy in. It's been a while since we snuck a goatsy in. Oh, God. Um, right, go ahead. Keep goatsy alive, people. Make goatsy great again. <laughs> oh, shit. I want a T-shirt with that. And a picture. Oh, I'm going to tell you. Uh, <laughs> Write that down. Write that down. <laughs> Don't you. Oh, new what? New? No, not new. No. Shit. I just I just wrote that as a comment in somebody else's post. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh my god. Oh, and just and just while you're doing whatever you're doing, just to add to the economic part of the decision to repeal prohibition, um, the uh, the states found themselves having to increase the amount of resources going towards trying to enforce this law. Obviously, after uh, October 29, there's less money to go around. It's not working. They're spending more money, and again, it's just another part of the financial puzzle to to. Uh, to get rid of this. So again, it just wasn't working out in real, in real world experiences. And it also wasn't working out financially. So the lessons, as I was saying, they should have learned um, now that I've got off of the goatsy thing is that it's not the, it's not the root cause. The root cause uh, of people drinking to excess of alcoholism and everything that comes along with it is that those people have got deeper issues, psychological and emotional issues. And they try and, deal with those issues by drinking. They're using stimulants to relax or to, to give them a boost or to, to forget about their problems or whatever it is. That's the root cause. So you need to deal with the root cause. If you don't deal with the root cause, 
and you just try and ban the thing that people use to to deal with those symptoms. Mm-hmm. It, it just doesn't it doesn't yeah. work. People have got deep fundamental uh, psychological and emotional reasons why they drink or use other form of chemical stimulants uh, or, or chemical relaxes in the form right. of drugs. And this is what we'll see over the course of the next few episodes is the mistakes that were made during Prohibition didn't work. They, banning this stuff doesn't deal with the fundamental issues. It just uh, ignores, you know, it tries to ignore the fundamental issues and, and deal with the symptoms. Now, secondly, yeah. what we should have learned is when you ban something that people want, without giving them an alternative to fix what they want mm. then or fix those underlying problems, then black market will arise to sub, uh, do the, the demand and supply thing, right, yeah. the, to, to supply yeah. the demand. And there'll be a fuck ton of money in that and those people who run the black market will become very wealthy and with wealth, they can buy power, both political power and 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 brute force power, and it accomplishes nothing. People are still getting what they want. The quality of what they get declines, uh, which causes more illness, more sickness, and death. So it was just a complete bit of fuckery on behalf of the U.S. government. Um, again, tens of thousands of people killed by the US government as a result. Uh, alcoholism, as we saw, according to the insurance companies, increased by 300%. Just stupid. Yeah. But they learnt nothing from it, as we will see. And it, and it started with a bunch of religious fundamentalists trying to prepare the way for Jesus. Wow. Thanks, Christians. Thanks a lot, Christians. <laughs> How much time have we got? We're, well, we're nearly at an hour. Yeah. Let's wrap it up. What I want to say, in our next episode, we're going to talk about the early career of a man called Harry Anslinger, the gunslinger, (coughs) Harry the gunslinger. If you haven't heard of Harry, pretty much the modern war on drugs as we know of it is the work of Harry the gunslinger, Anslinger. But um, we'll get to him in the next episode, right? Yeah. Can't wait. All right, boys. Bye. Bullshit. 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 Bullshit.